Will you do this real quick? Will you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to read together. And uh, it actually will not be long. It's real, it's real short. And I'm going to actually have them throw it up on the screen. We're starting part two of the heart for his house. Heart for the house. And so I want, I want you to read these two verses with me. We'll start with the, the first one. It comes out of Proverbs. We got that? There we go. Proverbs 29, 18. I want you to read this with me. It says this. Where there is no prophetic, the people are, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people are discouraged. Blessed is he who keeps the law. I want to read in a different translation now, second translation, the message translation. It says this. Read it with me. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most Come on, say that. They are most blessed. They are most blessed. Father, we pray right now that you would open up this word. And uh, God, I, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that your words would go forth. I pray that our people would be challenged, encouraged, strengthened. And uh, God, that what you want to say to them and what you want to minister to them would be done. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Go ahead and sit down. Go ahead and sit down. Lindsay and I uh, went on a date this past Friday and uh, went and did a little early birthday shopping for, well, not early, my son turns eight on Friday. And so we went, uh, took her out to eat, and then uh, we went and did a little shopping and went to a couple places, and I, and I noticed that it's October, and in the stores already are some things. Do you know what they are? What is it? Christmas, Christmas, yes, it's Christmas already. I can't believe that they're not playing Christmas music yet. That's the only thing I haven't seen yet. And I was a bit shocked, but at the same time not shocked because Christmas begins early and early every year. And for Christmas for me brings up two emotions. One, extreme excitement. How many just love Christmas? You love the Christmas season, Christmas time, Christmas carols, Christmas eggnog, Christmas everything. You just love it. You love giving gifts. You love receiving gifts. You love it all. Okay. And I, I have a great, I love Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas. It's a fun time of year. We're going to do Christmas up huge like we always do here at OSC. It's going to be a great time. But um, I have a second uh, emotion when it comes to Christmas, and that is a pure hatred for it. And the reason that is, is because come Christmas time, I have three boys, and it seems to never fail that every time we buy gifts for our boys, it always has to have some assembly required. <laughs> How many know what I'm talking about? Got any daddies in the house? Okay, and when they say some assembly required, what they mean is you have to assemble everything. Everything assembled required. Um, and so a couple of years ago, we've gotten things over the course of the year. And a couple of years ago, I, it almost did me in. We, we decided that, you know what, our boys, I think this was even before Joel was born. It was before Joel was born. We decided our boys need a play set. They need a backyard play set. Uh, of course, every childhood boy has to have a backyard playset. So we go to Toys R Us or Academy or whatever, and we find this playset, and we get it, and it's in this huge box. And it doesn't look like when you go in there, you, you know, you're thinking like, will they just like maybe mobile it on in, like the one that's already built? They just kind of move that on in, but that wasn't the case, as you know. And so we get home, and I get into my backyard, and I cut this box open, and I'm like, ah, what? It's like... There's, who's built a playset in here? Who, anybody in here? You're about to, okay, all right. <clears throat> How many of you almost had to repent, or you did have to repent for a lot of things? Because there's like 400 screws, 
one, there's, there's, there's 400 screws, there's like 300 pieces of wood, there's all these different things that are going on, and so me and my, my the way my brain works is I got to organize it all out. So I'm out in the yard, and I got like every piece of wood like put exactly where it needs to go by length, so that way, but see, they don't tell you that it may be the same length, but it's a different type of wood. You can't put this wood there. And so, anyways, uh, I ended up doing the, the playhouse, and it was just, it was a mess. It was a wreck, and, and I ended up getting it fixed, and they have a playhouse now. Every time they're on it, I intercede. Um, and then, so I got all this thing together, and it's funny. I came to the office, and Pastor Bubba was like, hey, what'd you do? I said, oh, I'll put this playhouse together. He's like, it's demonic. Don't touch it. I said, just stay away from it. He's like, oh, our kid's one-on-one, too. And I'm going to South Africa, and if you would want to be a blessing to me, you know where this is going. And so I love my pastor. And so I did. I put, we put, I put his together as well. But with this thing comes, comes these pages of, of step one, you know, find this, dummy. Step two, just quit now. <laughs> step three, all right, be ready. And so there's all these steps on how to build this thing and what you're supposed to do. And by the time you get to this point, they're, they're trying to show pictures. How I many you know you get so frustrated because they're trying to show a picture, but you're like, what screw is that? You know, you're looking for it and you're trying to find which one is it. And then, and then the kids are like playing with the, with the wood. And you're like, no, put that down. I just screwed everything up. And so I, I have these encounters. Last time it was a trampoline. On the trampoline it said, two people is a must. I was like, uh-uh, one, I'm doing this thing. And I did it. Um, and, but it was, it was yet again another one of those things. So this year, all Christmases from here on out, are, they have to be already pre-built no matter what. And so these instruction guides kind of are somewhat a blueprints to show you how this is supposed to be done. And last week we talked about uh, how God is building a spiritual house. We talked about in Peter how it says that God is building a spiritual house, that he's, he's bringing people together. We talked last week about, we did a survey and said, how many people, you know, have college education? How many don't? How many are, got saved in their 20s, 30s? And we went across the, the room and we found out that, that this house is a blend of so many different types of people. That, and that God is building a house and he's building a spiritual house. And this house is, is his church. He's building his church. And this church is a, is a people that he is very passionate about. We talked about how Jesus loves his church. He absolutely loves his church. He loves his church so much that he died for his church. And then we talked a little bit about how Jesus is the heart of our house, that he is the cornerstone, that he is the, the, the bedrock of everything that we do. He is the cornerstone and he's the capstone. He begins it and he ends it. And we talked through all this stuff and talked about the importance of a house and how God is building a house. And so I felt like this week we're going to continue kind of building the foundation of this. And the next week, Pastor Zach's actually going to come in and help work out some, some of the practical things of what this looks like. But I wanted to talk about what does this look like for our house, for our Savior's church, what is it, why is it so important that God is building our Savior's church? Why is it so important that God is building our house? And then the, the next question is, and I think it's in regards to what I talked about, like with blueprints and stuff, is what are we supposed to be doing? You ever ask yourself that one time? What am I supposed to be doing? Why am I here? Why, what does this exist for? What, what, what are we supposed to be all about? Where are we supposed to be going? How are we supposed to do all this? And so what I want to do is I kind of want to do like, 
we did for this place that I want to lay out, I want to open up a, a set of plans, in a sense, for you to sneak in, peek in and see what we're all about. What are we supposed to be doing as a church, as our Savior's church, right here in Jennings and in Eunice? And what is the floor plan? What is it all about? Because people ask us all the time, what is the vision of our Savior's church? What's the vision of our Savior's church? Where are we going? What are we doing? What are we all about? Now, I'll say this from the start, from the beginning, that as pastors, it's not our job to make up the vision. It's not. We don't create some type of vision and then just kind of throw it out there. And I want to share this right off the top because this is going to be the driving force of think of what we do today. And you're going to write this in your notes. And it's this. The church doesn't have a vision. God's vision has a church. The church doesn't have a vision. God's vision has a church. How many of you believe that God had a plan and a purpose for this church before it existed? How many believe that? How many believe that God was thinking about you and you being a part of this spiritual family before this was a spiritual family? How many believe that? Absolutely. And so here's what I want you to understand that. If, if we think that it just came out of a person, if it just came out of somebody conjuring this up, then then that doesn't play into what God did way before that came around. See, the church doesn't have a vision. God's vision has a church. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And from his heart flows this thing. And so I want to share a little bit of what we believe is God's vision for this house. We don't just have our own vision. We didn't just conjure up something. We feel like God has given us his vision. And his vision is this. And you're going to fill in some blanks. I'm going to just kind of share it really what we're all about. If you want to know what our Savior Church is all about, you came to a great service because I'm going to share exactly what we're all about. Number one is this. We're all about reaching people. God's vision for his house is that we would be a people that are absolutely passionate about reaching people. I want to read the 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to go there, you can. If you don't have your Bible, that's all right. You can uh, read on the screen. The 2 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us a little bit of a, of a picture of what God's vision is for this house. We know he's building a house, so what's the importance of this house? What's this house supposed to be all about? Well, it says this. Actually, I just read it a little bit earlier. 2 Corinthians 5, we'll start in 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it starts off with five words after this. What does it say? All this is what? Come on, preach with me. All this is what? All this is from God. That's exactly right. Who, through Christ, reconciled us. Everybody say us. Okay, he reconciled us to who? To himself. Okay. And then, what does he do? From there, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to to who? To us, his house his church, his people. What is he entrusting to us? He's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, and we always say, when you see a therefore, you always need to go back and find out what it's there for. Thank you. It says, therefore, we are, we are what? We are ambassadors. What is an ambassador? What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents Another country, like we have the U.S. ambassadors that go into other countries. And what do they do? They have full authority and representation of the nation of the country that they are being the ambassadors for. So 
United States ambassadors can walk into China and have full authority of what it is that is America in those places. They get to represent who that is to those people. So what he's saying here is that we have been reconciled to God. We have been made new, as we sang just a little bit ago. We've been brought back together with God. And now, not only have you been brought together with God, but now God wants you to go. He sends you to go and to be ambassadors for Christ. Look what it says. God, this is so crazy. God is making his appeal, what? Through who? Have you ever thought about that? See, we don't think about that too often during the week, do we? That God has put you in your job, God's put you in your family, that God's put you in your neighborhood because he is making his appeal through you? That's crazy. Anybody else find that crazy? God is making his appeal to other people through me, through his house. It says, we implore you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For whose sake? For our sake. He made him to be sin. Speaking of Jesus. He made Jesus to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Because it not only does it share the gospel of what Christ came to do, to come and reconcile and live a life and to take on our sin and give us his righteousness. But then it also doesn't just save us from something, but it saves us to something. See, most people want to be saved from sin, but most people don't want to be saved to purpose. And see, when Jesus saves you, he doesn't just save you for you. He is reaching you so that way he can reach others through you. And so our passion is to Reach people. God uses people to reach people. Everybody say it with me. God uses people to reach people. God uses people to reach people. And the way I know this is because we have to ask the question, I mean, let's just start with this. Why did we start a church in Jennings 12 years ago? Because if, if, who was here when we were at the Holiday Inn? Anybody? How many? Raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five. Five people were here at the Holiday Inn. Uh, did we have some spectacular lighting at the Holiday Inn? Okay. Did we have incredible nursery rooms at the Holiday Inn? We had hotel rooms. That's illegal now. Okay. We, did we have incredible worship music? Trust me, we did not. You know what we did have, though? We had a passion for people. I told y'all last week, I remember coming with Pastor Bubba from Lafayette on Thursdays to do a Bible study with him, and it would be me and him. Bernetta probably was there at a couple of those as well. And he would preach like there was like 300 people in there. And I'd wonder, what is going on? Why? Like, I I have a hard time. You know why? Because he was just so passionate about reaching people. It has driven this church from day one. The fact that we would drive 45 minutes and wake up way too early and load all this stuff in this nasty, smelly green van and bring everybody over to Holiday Inn and then to unload all that and to do all that for 10, 15, and it began to grow as that went. But why did we do all that? 
Because we're so passionate about reaching people. For Pastor Bob and Miss Tracy, God put you on their heart. You know that? And so that's why they went. Because the church doesn't have a vision, but God's vision has a church and he has people. When you read the Bible, it centers around one person and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is so passionate about what? People. He is absolutely passionate about people. He's passionate about you. God's vision and his mission is all about people. Let me, let's, let's just start here. Why did Christ come to earth? Because think about this. Really, no, stop and think about this. Jesus had it made. Angels are worshiping him. Seated at the right hand of his father. No tears, no pain, no nothing. All is great. I mean, the best place you possibly can be in. So why come to earth? As a baby, have to go through all that. Then have to work as a, as a man and have a job and then live a, a sinless life. Then die the most gruesome death. Why does he do all that? Because he's passionate about you. Why does he die the death that he dies? Because he's passionate about you. Everything you read when Jesus is coming through, he's just passionate about people. He's always welcoming people, welcoming children, healing people, setting people free. Everything that we see about Jesus is all about people. Everything. His whole life was centered around. When his disciples were like, Jesus, come on. We have been doing this all day. Seriously, let's stop. And he's like, no. Keep them coming. You guys go get something to eat. I'm going to stay here. Why? Because those disciples constantly were only thinking about themselves, and Jesus' eyes were always on people. He was always thinking about people. So then we got to track through what that looks like for here. Why did, why did God call us to start a church in Jennings? Because he was passionate about you. And then as a church, we did something absolutely crazy, crazy, when we only had probably 140, 150 people coming on a regular basis. We start another church. That's crazy. Do you hear me? That's absolutely insane. Why do we start in a city that we don't know anybody with a, doing a, something that we've never done before, with a small staff already? What, that makes no sense. But why do you do that? Because you're passionate about people. It's very quiet in this Methodist church. Do I have any people passionate about people in this room? Because here's the deal. You cannot claim the name of Christ and not be passionate about people. You can't. You can't say, man, I had such an amazing time with Jesus this week. And then not follow that up with a love for people. You can't. Because if you do, that's absolutely selfish. It's self-centered at its core. And everything we read about in Scripture is Jesus constantly passionate about people. Let me tell you what the vision is. The vision is reaching people, but can I just say this? You are the vision. Look at the person next to you say, you are the vision. That seat that you are in, we pray for that constantly. We're always in this room praying for every seat, for every single person. Because here's the deal. When we talk about reaching people, it starts with reaching a person. It starts with one. 
So we don't look to the crowd and go, oh, I just can't wait till we have 500 people. I can't wait till we have 1,000 people. I can't wait till we have all that. No, we're passionate about one person at a time, reaching one person. That's why we spend so much time with people one-on-one. Let us walk with you through this. Now, I want to show you a passage of Scripture, and I love this because it's in the message translation, so I think it, it, uh, it plays out a little bit better. You can kind of understand it a little bit better. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Can we throw that up? Matthew chapter 5, and it says this. You are here to be what? Come on, there we go. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public. We're going public with this thing, as public as a city on a hill. And if I make you light bearers, I mean, you you think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket? Do you? I'm putting you on a light stand now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand. What does it say? Come on, what does it say? Shine. Keep open your house. Some of you need to hear that. Keep open your house. Keep it open. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God this generous Father in heaven. That's a great verse. That's a great verse. We're so passionate about reaching people. And can I tell you, God's vision is something not only worth dying for, it's something worth living for. Some of you are so bored with your faith. You know why? Because you're trying to pursue your vision and not God's vision. God's vision is the most exciting, thrilling, uncomfortable place in the world. If you've ever been trying to pursue God's vision, you know what I'm talking about. It's probably everybody who's laughed. Because you're like, I really don't want to go there. And he's like, go there. And you're like, I don't want to say that. And he's like, say that. And you're like, no. I don't want to. He's like, well, it's not about you. Some of you wear those shirts. And that's why we put that on there. It's not about you. Because we're all about reaching people. I love this, this um, phrase. Uh, Craig Rochelle, the pastor, he says this. He says, in order to reach people no one's reaching, we must be willing to go to places no one is going. I'm going to say that again because it was really good, and I got no amends, so I'm going to give you all another chance. In order to reach people no one is reaching, we must be willing to go to places no one is going. Uh, let me ask you this. Just, this is just a, a question, and this is a question for you to ponder. What risks have you taken for the Lord lately? Because here's the deal. Let me show you how this works. When you don't take risks for the Lord, it means you, ha- you, you have no need for faith. When you have no need for faith, the Bible calls that unfaithful. Are you all with me here? Don't preach me down on this one. So here's the question. What is the last risk you've taken for the Lord? When's the last time he's told you to do something and you're like, God, I don't know about this, but you stepped out and you did it. Whether it's to give something or to say something or to go somewhere or to, to quit this and start this or to go to a new job or go to this new place. You got, God, I don't know what to do. I have no, and he says, just do this. No risk means you have no need for faith. You have no need to trust God because you got your world in order, so you don't need to trust God. But when there's no faith, it means you're unfaithful. 
And nobody wants to be unfaithful. But you don't realize how those all pair together. No risk, no faith, unfaithful. Great risk, great faith, faithful. So let me ask you this. If Jesus is willing to give his life for his house, is it possible that he's asking us to do the same? I think the answer is yes. So number one, we are passionate about reaching people. And, and I'll even say this. That is why this summer we took our VBS and we went into Paradise Park. We took our VBS and we went into Eunice. We took our VBS and we went to Oklahoma City. Because we want to go to places that no one else wants to go. We want to reach people that no one else is reaching. I am so proud and excited for what God is doing in Paradise Park right now. He's using Pastor Zach and Claire in phenomenal ways. And here's the thing about it. It's not glitzy and glamorous because most of you don't know. Every Sunday night when everybody else wants to stay at home and do their own thing and be comfortable and watch football, Pastor Zach and Claire are laying down their lives in a place that most people don't want to go. And I applaud that because Jesus sees that. Because everybody wants to go in and do the big old go big stuff and, and, and make it all a big deal and everybody comes and we think we did a great thing. But God honors people who stay in and are faithful. Stay in and preach and share and teach and walk with people because this is where it comes and this is the second part. Not only do we want to reach people, but we want to build lives. See, a lot of people want to go and do the glitzy glamour of reaching people, but most people don't want to build lives because you know why? It's dirty. It's messy. It's hard. I mean, let's talk about Jesus. I mean, we look throughout Scripture. Jesus is a builder. He's a builder. Let's, let's throw up 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, what does it say that we're called to do? We know that Jesus is a builder. We saw that he's building a house. It says, you yourselves like living stones are being built, built up. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are being built up as a spiritual house. So Christ is not just so passionate about reaching people and getting people in a house, getting people in a place. He, he wants to build the house. He wants to build people together. He wants to join people together. He wants us to be built together, to, to, to get connected, to, to have things in common and that's what this is about. When we talk about Jesus as a builder, I mean, what does it take to build things? I mean, I shared at the front end when it came to this playhouse. It took perseverance, sweat, tools, a lot of hard work, a lot of humbling pride. It took hours, it took my time, took my back hurting for about a week. It took a lot of things out of me to build this thing. So when, when we talk about building lives, we're talking about sweat and effort and organization and, 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 and putting our hands to the plow. Because I'll be very honest with you, we are creatures of comfort. We want things fast and easy. We want our food fast and easy for the most part. We want life to be fast and easy. We want things to be fast and easy. If we have to be patient for anything, it bothers us. If we have to work for something, it bothers us. 
But God is calling us to build. He's calling us to do something. Uh, we, we live in a culture that wants the benefits but not the responsibility. Let me prove it to you. Marriage. Right now, there is an overdose of men who want the benefits of a woman but not the responsibility of a woman. Can I get an amen from the men in the house? We're all about changing that in this house. That we love women. We don't use them. We cherish them. We don't abuse them. We speak honorably of them. See, too many men want the benefits of marriage, but they don't want the responsibilities of shepherding and guiding and leading and caring and praying and tending. Right? We see boys nowadays getting married. And for the most part, most of them are not getting married. Most want the benefits of marriage without the responsibilities of marriage. And you know what you call that? Shacking up. Right? Isn't that what that's called? Shacking up? And here's my, here's my fear. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. My fear is <clears throat> that that tendency slips in the church. That we want the benefits of the church but we don't want the responsibilities of the church. You know what we call that? Spiritually shacking up. Right? I mean, come on. It's, it's the truth, isn't it? We're spiritually shacking up. And I don't know about y'all, but last week I talked about how Jesus looks at the church and it's his bride. Jesus don't let people shack up with his bride. He's too too committed to her to see people use her. He wanted you to love the church, to cherish the church, to help build the church. And and I'll be honest with you. Sometimes the the greatest way to share love is to sweat. I can tell my wife all day, babe, I love you. I love you right here from this recliner. I love you. And I guarantee you, come nighttime about 6.30, and if I got any parents of young kids in this house... Uh, if, at about 6.30, the, the one thing that the mama is thinking about is, let's get these kids to bed fast, like now. Like 6.30 was too late. Let's, let's, let's get after this. And then, she, then we have dinner and we have dishes everywhere and then we got boys that are stinky. So that means a couple of things. If I love my wife, if I cherish my, life, my wife, the way that I show that is I either go get into the kitchen and I start cleaning dishes, and I start stowing them away. Come on, I could get a real good amen from some wives in here, I think, probably. I mean, that's all right. I'm trying to help you out. Uh, Or I could say, boys, let's get in the bathtub. It's time to take a bath. Let's go. Let's rub. It's bedtime. I don't, do children even know what bedtime is? Not like they haven't done it every night. Bedtime? What? Like, seriously, okay, we do this every night. This should not be a joke, okay? It's bedtime. That means you put your head on the pillow, all right? So the way that I express love to her is by helping in those things. And so uh, let, me, let, me, let me switch this over now. Now, for the church, the way that we show God, I, am, I have a heart for your house. I, I love your church. I want to help your church. I want to build your church, is we, we sweat for the house, we, we help where we can help. 
We, we do what we can do to come and, and be a part of this. Some of you drop off your little angels in our OSC kids' rooms. And then we stand up here and we say, listen, we want people who, who can really minister to kids. And you're like, yeah, I'm good. I've got to be with them all week. I'm like, yeah, we've got to be with them for two hours. But here's the deal. We, when we come and we go, hey, it's time to give the tithe and offering. It's time to give to the Lord. Some of you look in there and find the smallest bill that you possibly can. You know what we call that? We call it dine and dash. You come in and you eat the buffet and you jet out while the pastor has his back to you. Because you want the benefits of it, but you don't want the responsibilities of it. Right? We want the benefits of the church. Come minister to me. Help me. Heal me. Come see me at the hospital. Come pray with me. Come cook for me. Come do this for me. And then when we say, hey, we need you. We need Harvest people to help. We need OSC Kids teens. We need you to give. You're like, ah, oh, no. Good. Be careful. Spiritually shacking up. We're calling you to something greater. And I'm going I'm to just tell you, I'll, I'll tell you this. The people that I see absolutely growing in their love for the Lord are people who are giving their most to the church. I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about are laying down their lives for the church, are helping, are serving, are discipling, are ministering to people, are attending women's Bible studies and going and being a part and going, I'm here. I have a heart for this house. I want to be here. Teach me. Those are the people who are growing and flourishing in their love for the Lord. How many of you, let me ask you this. How, how many have kids? Raise your hand. If you have kids, raise your hand. How many of you have responsibilities for your children at home? Raise your hand. They, they got to do something. Man, not that many people raise their hands. You know what that means? You do it all. How many like that? Lindsay and I, more and more, as our, ki- our boys are getting older, are like, I'm not doing all this. No. All these toys, these are not mine. You, pick them up. Even you, Joel, you go. Everybody's got responsibilities in the house. You know why? Because it's our house. I'm not going to sing the song, but it's our house. So here's the deal. If you call OSC your house, we want you to take the responsibility for it. Love it. Cherish it. Be here. Give. Amen? I'm sorry if it's strong. But I feel like I have to talk the way that I am because you're not understanding. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. 20% of the people are giving 80% of the tithe and offering. We're asking you to be a part and to help us because here's the deal. When everybody puts in their part, I want to show you. It's not on the screen, but I want to read Ephesians 4, and then we're going to wrap it up. Ephesians chapter 4, I want to show you what happens when everybody does their part. When everybody does their part, I want you to see what happens to the house, and I want you to see what it does. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and we're going to read from there, and it says, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, that would be us, that we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up 
building lies. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. Now skip down. Verse 15 says this. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Everybody say grow up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And here's the part. When each part is working properly, other versions say when each part is doing their part, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. See, here's the deal. When we're not just committed to reaching people and saying, hey, just come, come to our Savior's church, come get in the house. But when we're committed to building into people and saying, hey, we want you to come, but hey, I want to walk with you through life. I want to walk with you through your marriage. I want to walk with you through parenting. I want to walk with you through your relationship with the Lord. I want to help you. I want to be here for you. That's building into lives. When you do that, and everybody does their part. For some, it's financially giving to the church. For some of you, it's you, you don't have finances, but you got time, and you could give time. For some of you, you have some talents that are just phenomenal that need to be going to the church to help. When you start doing these things, the body grows. The body grows. It grows. And at some point, our faith has to collide with our responsibility. Those things have to come together. So I want to end with this because I want you to understand what we want this house to be. And I guarantee you, this has been the heartbeat of our house from the beginning. It's reaching people, building lives. But just as a house, as God's house, what do we want God's house to be? And I have three things. Number one is this. We want God's house to be a home. We want it to be a home. How many love your home? How many love after just an extremely long day of work and you just want to go home? How many of you have been in the hospital for six or seven days and just want to go home? There's something about home that is so comforting. It's a place where family is embraced. It's a place where strangers are welcomed. It's, it's a place where people can just lay down who they are, You're, you know, everybody's real, everybody's honest, sometimes too honest. But that's home, isn't it? You're like, you don't act like that in public. Well, I'm home. <laughs> and our, our, our heart is for this house to be a home. We want when, no matter who walks into this place, you feel like you're at home. You feel like, I feel like I've known these people forever and I just met you. I feel like these people care about me. I feel like they've, they've taken time to welcome me in. It's a place of safety. For children, it's a place of safety and security. Home is a safe place. Come on, how many want this church to be a home, to be a safe place, a welcoming place, a place of welcome for people to come? Second, second thing is this. We, we want this to be a hospital. And a hospital is a place of healing, not only do we want you to feel at home and get in home, but we want you to get healthy. A part of reaching people and building lives is the fact that we don't want you just to come, but we want you to, to get healthy. If your marriage is dying, guess what? You're in a great place. If your kids are going crazy, guess what? You're in a, you're in a great place. 
If your life is just in shambles right now and you got addiction issues and your finances are a wreck and you're in a great place. This is a, a place of health. This is a place for people who are hurting to be healed and made whole. But that comes whenever you understand that you're at home and you can be honest about that. You can be honest about that. See, sometimes we think that when we come to church, we've got to put on the church mask and everything's okay. Hey, how's your week going? It's okay. And then you walk home and you're like, it's not okay. It's a wreck. But the great, place, the great thing about this is that we're a home filled with a bunch of people who, who are wrecks themselves. Look at the person next to you go, you're a wreck. <laughs> you, if you didn't know that, now you know. You're a wreck and Jesus is fixing you. Amen to all the wrecks. Okay, so we're, we're, a, we're just a band of misfits. Somehow Jesus puts together, he says, just love me and you'll be okay. And so we want to be a place that's home where you, you can be yourself. We want to be a place that's healing where, you know, we will get into your lives and help you. And then last is we want to, we want to be a headquarters. And the thing about a headquarters is it's a, it's a place of purpose. You, you know why you go to your headquarters? You go to your headquarters to get your mission. What do you want me to do? So not only do we want you to kind of get in and get healthy and get strong and all that, we, we want you to get going. This is a place where you just can't sit and just do the spiritual shacking up. You will be miserable at this church if you spiritually shack up this church. Because we will be in your face all the time, constantly, about where your marriage is and, and why are you not being involved. If you want to do that, there's plenty of churches you can do that in. But in this house, we're going to ask you to make a commitment. Because you know why? Because Jesus did. Jesus gave his life for it. And so we're not going to ask anything short of you giving your life for it. So we want to be a headquarters. We want to be a place where, where you are equipped for the unique mission that God has called you to do. I'm going to, I'm going to just, uh, I'll say this in closing. The next 12 years, because we're 12 years in right now, the next 12 years of this church will be the most uncomfortable years of your life. And I say that with a smile. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when his vision, because remember, our church doesn't have a vision. God's vision has a church. And when God's vision becomes our vision, when God's mission becomes our mission, when God's passion becomes our passion, guess what he does? He sends you. He sends you. He says, oh, you love Jesus? Go to Lake Arthur. Okay, all right. I don't know anybody there. I don't care. I do, and I love people there. Go. Okay, good, great. Church is in a good place, good. Go start a church in Crowley. Are you serious? Yes, go. Why? We don't know anybody. Go. See, because when his vision becomes our vision and his passion becomes our passion and his mission becomes our mission, the greatest thing that you read all throughout the Gospels is that Jesus is constantly sending people. Okay, you go here. You go here. You do this. You do here. Right now, you are a missionary in your workplace. You're a missionary in your neighborhood. You're a missionary. What do we read? You are the light. You are a city on a hill. Am I going to hide it? No, I'm going to put it on a lampstand, and I want you to shine. So I'm going to tell you this. If you want to really love Jesus, get ready for some very uncomfortable years. Because God is always going to be stretching. He's going to be dealing with you about your junk. You're like, seriously? I thought we were in a good place. He's like, no, we're going to deal with this. This past week, we had a leadership team meeting, and I, I was sharing with our leadership team 
uh, about the church and being the church and us going out and, and, and really winning people to the Lord and, and being, um, being passionate about Jesus to where we go to places they see Jesus and they hear Jesus. And I said, you know what? When I'm around people, I want people, their affection for Jesus to be stirred. That's the kind of life I want to live. That when I'm around people, that my love for the Lord is so contagious that people, when they walk away from me, want, not want what I have, but they want Jesus. So it's good, and everybody's like, that's great, that's awesome. So I get in bed, and my wife looks at me, and she says, I'm so glad you said that earlier about, like, you wanting to stir people's affections for Jesus. Because I feel sometimes when I'm not around you, I don't feel my affection stirred for Jesus. And I, had, I got two, two reactions there. One, it's, okay, let's see how I can figure out a way around this and justify. Or two, I can repent and allow God to do what he needs to do in my heart. And, and, and so I say this to you, one, to be transparent before you that God is still working on me in my marriage and in my heart. But then two, to know that this is a journey and God is continually building. He's continually building in your marriage. He's continually building in your lives. He's continually building. And I, I'm so appreciative that I have a wife that is not content with me being where I am, but sees so much more for where God wants me to be. So I had to repent and say I'm sorry and Babe, I want, I want you to be stirred for Jesus. And that's my passion for you. I want wherever you go that you would be stirred for Jesus and that the people that are around you would see Jesus all over you because you shine so much, that we would be stirred for his kingdom. Because, I mean, please hear me. When the church's vision, when the church has a vision, it turns inward. But when God's vision has a church, it's always growing, always expanding, always stretching, always going. That's what it is. Now, I want to turn your attention to something. If you look on the back of your notes, I want you to see something. Because this is so key right now with where we are as a church. There is a place on the back of your notes that says, Heart for the House Challenge. How many see that? You see that there? Okay. And... In this, we say, you know what, our passion is to reach people. Our passion is to build lives. Our passion is to do these things. Well, here's the deal. What does that mean for you come Monday? What does that mean for you tomorrow? This is what it means. As a church, we want to commit for the next four to five weeks to begin to pray specifically every day by name people who don't know Jesus. Because if we are a church who is passionate about people, it starts with prayer. Right? So if you've got a husband, it starts with prayer. If you've got a child, if you've got a neighbor, a coworker, it starts with you praying. God, save them. God, open their eyes. God, give me opportunities to speak into their life. God, let me be a light to them. God, so I want, us, I want you to do this. I want you to write down five names on the back of your notes. If you want to take this home and do it at home, you can. If you know, I mean, you might have five names right now. You're like, bam, you just spit it out. You can write it down right now. But I want us as a church to make a commitment that for the next five weeks, we're going to specifically pray for each one of these people. We're going to pray together. And my prayer, I'll be honest with you, my prayer is that by the end of the year, they'll come to know Jesus. Can we believe that? I I know God has his timing, but I'm just asking if he can expedite. Amen? I believe he can expedite. 
without any shipping costs. He can expedite this thing. So we're going to start being passionate about reaching people and building lives, and that starts with us really praying for those who don't know Jesus. So I want you to commit for the next day, or for the next five weeks, every day. Put that card somewhere that you see it every day, whether it's in your bathroom or in your car. Put it somewhere with those names constantly there, and you pray, and you call their name out. God, I pray for such and such. I pray that they would come to know Jesus. I pray that you would use